is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day here in the United States of America. Are you participating in the Indigenous Peoples sales all over the country? I am Mark Levin, the number 877-381-3811, 877-381-381. Yes, another point of history that we're supposed to despise because uh, all these people in our past were not as great as, say, Al Sharpton or Chuck Schumer or Barack Obama. Or Nancy Pelosi. Indigenous peoples. So I got to thinking, what does that mean? We think we know what that means. I mean, Los Angeles, CBS LA, a statue of Christopher Columbus was covered up Monday just as the first Indigenous Peoples Day in LA got underway. Are the Indigenous people the illegal aliens pouring into California? I don't think so. Do you, Mr. Producer? Let's see, city officials did not say they were going to cover up the statue, but Christopher Columbus monuments and other cities like New York have been defaced. You know, like Columbus was a Confederate, maybe. Although, not just Confederates, here in Washington, D.C., the Lincoln Monument was defaced briefly. So we're busy defacing everything. Because America stinks, everybody who founded this magnificent nation stinks. The only great people are modern-day leftists. That's it. Perfect human beings. But I got to thinking, what do we mean by indigenous peoples? Now we got to deal with this. Indigenous peoples. So I did a little digging. took me about 14 seconds. And there was a National Geographic item on this. 14 years ago. Who were the first Americans? So now I figure we better find out who the first Americans are if we're going to talk about indigenous peoples. A study of skulls excavated from the tip of Baja, California, in Mexico suggests the first Americans may not have been the ancestors of today's American Indians. But another... uh, uh, I know it's blasphemy. Shall I read on? But another people who came from Southeast Asia and the Southern Pacific area. The question of who colonized the Americans and when has been long, hotly debated. Traditionally, Native Americans are believed to have descended from Northeast Asia, arriving over a land bridge between Siberia and Alaska some 12,000 years ago and then migrating across North and South America. Ooh, this is getting complicated. But recent research, including the Baja California study, indicates that the initial settlement of the continent was instead driven by Southeast Asians who occupied Australia 60,000 years ago and then expanded into the Americas about 13,500 years ago prior to Mongoloid people arriving from Northeast Asia. Ooh, my head's about to explode. Now, the skulls from Baja, California, which may date back only a few hundred years, have slender-looking faces that are different from the broad-cheeked craniums of modern American Indians, or as they call them, Amerindians. I'm getting so confused with all the nomenclatures. 
Anyway, the Mera Indians, the descendants of the Mongoloid people. Our results change the traditional idea that all modern Amera Indians present morphological affinities with East Asians as a result of a single migration, said Rolando Gonzalez Jose of the University of Barcelona, Spain, who led the study. That guy should be locked up, I'm sure. The settlement of the New World is better explained by considering a continuous influx of people from Asia. The new study is reported in this week's issue of the science journal Nature, widely read, no doubt, and could further fuel the controversy surrounding the origins of the first Americans, which is a controversial issue for American Indians in particular. Welcome to Indigenous Peoples Day, ladies and gentlemen. Let's continue, shall we? Conventional wisdom says that Native Americans descended from prehistoric hunters who walked from Northeast Asia across a land bridge formed at the end of the Ice Age. Ice Age? To Alaska some 12,000 years ago. American Indians resembled the people of Mongolia, China, and Siberia. It's National Geographic. In the 1930s, archaeologists found stone spear points among the bones of mammoths near Clovis, New Mexico. Radiocarbon dating in the 1950s showed the oldest site was 11,400 years old. The sites were assumed for years to be the first evidence of human occupation in the Americas. But more recent discoveries challenged the Clovis story, ladies and gentlemen. In that, we got to get to the bottom of this indigenous stuff. In 1996, archaeologists in southern Chile found weapons and tools dating back 12,500 years ago. In Brazil, they found some of the oldest human remains in the Americas, among them a skeleton named Luzia. That is more than 11,000 years old. Happy birthday, Luzia. Luzia did not look like American Indians. Instead, her facial features match most closely with the native Aborigines in Australia. These people date back to about 60,000 years and were themselves descended from the first humans who probably originated in Africa. I'm thinking, Mr. Producer, the, the, natives, uh, the indigenous uh, Native Americans may have been Palestinians. What do you think? The researchers believe Luzia was part of a people referred to as Paleo-Americans who migrated into the Americas, possibly even by boat, long before the Mongoloid people. Confused? Of course. The Paleo-Americans may later have been wiped out by an inter- interbred, with Mo- by interbreeding, they should say, with Mongoloids invading from the north. I'm not done. I'm half done. The late skulls found in Baja, California are similar to Luzia, and Paleo-American skulls found in South America. Their craniums are characterized by long and narrow vaults, with faces short and low in relation to the, ah, whatever, neurocranium. You with me? Of course not. Who's with this? But let's continue. We're, We're digging into this indigenous peoples issue. Skeletal studies demonstrate that skeletal remains do not fit the mongoloid set of traits that it's determinant of the modern Amerindian morphology, says Gonzalez Jose. <laughs> Our results demonstrate that not only are some early remains not mongoloid, but also some modern groups like those of Baja, California. The study say, who the hell's in Baja, California? Isn't it like 148 degrees there? The study suggests that Baja, California was one of many isolated pockets throughout the Americas where Paleo-American traits survived. 
The Paleo-Americans might have split at one point, with one group going down to Baja, California. Now, this group may not have come in contact with the Paleo-Indians for millennia. You with me? (laughs) Some experts, however, find it difficult to believe that such a population could have evolved in isolation. Sounds right by me. Some experts, however, find it, uh, yes, yeah, I don't doubt there's skeletal diversity and that it's skeletal diversity. And that it's probably coming out of old world Asia, said Tom DeHay, an archaeologist at the University of Kentucky in Lexington who commented on the study in a separate article for Nature. But I'm very skeptical of a population, particularly close to a coastline, that could have been isolated for more than 10,000 years. Yep, yep, absolutely. The identity of the first Americans is an emotive issue for American Indians, who believe their ancestors were the first to inhabit the Americas. Controversy erupted after skeletal remains were found in Kennewick, Washington in 1996. Did you know about this? There was controversy. This skeleton, estimated to be 9,000 years old, had a long cranium and narrow face. Features typical of people from, uh uh-oh, ready? Europe, or the Near East, or India rather than the wide cheekbones and router skull of American Indians. A coalition of Indian tribes, however, said that if Kennewick man was 9,000 years old, he must be their ancestor, no matter what he looked like. Invoking a U.S. federal law, oh, that'll fix it, that provides for the return of Native American remains to their living descendants, the tribes demanded a halt to all scientific study and the immediate return of the skeleton for burial in a secret location. So, happy Indigenous Peoples Day. And no, we don't know what that means, truth be told. And you know what? For the people who come up with this stuff, it doesn't matter. The goal isn't really to figure this out. The city council in Los Angeles, made up of miscreants and malcontents, they don't know anything about Indigenous anything. I mean, after all, the border's wide open for the non-indigenous to invade, particularly in California, a sanctuary state. No, 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 no. The goal here is to trash the country, to trash America's founding. I'm not even talking about the government. I'm talking about the discovery of America and the trashing of Columbus because Columbus was not nearly as pure as Harvey Weinstein, or is it Stein? Not nearly as pure as Bill Clinton. Not nearly as pure as the Democrat Party of old. No, no, no. What Columbus did in founding America must be degraded. He must be destroyed. He must be ripped out from the books. Yes. All of American history all of the history of the continent must be destroyed. Our very existence must be condemned to allow the new, the smarter, the better, to control what this country is to be. While they claim to represent the indigenous peoples of America. This is a long way of saying I want to welcome you to Columbus Day on the Mark Levin Show. It'll always be Columbus Day on the Mark Levin Show. More about the intellectual roots of the war against Columbus. This is important stuff. The destruction of American history, the destruction of world history by the hardcore radical left. More of it.
when I return. Mark Lovin. movement that sits behind this anti-Columbus Day movement, if you will. Jennifer Baceres, over at National Review Online today, has an outstanding piece. The intellectual roots of the war against Columbus. They go back to Marxism and the Klan. Marxism and the Klan. The war against Columbus is cloaked in the lexicon of diversity and the rhetoric of inclusion. But what many of its foot soldiers do not realize, that in fact it has its intellectual roots in the not-so-tolerant ideologies of Marxism and white supremacy. Just like much of the Democrat Party, I might add. Karl Marx, of course, viewed history as the product of a great class struggle between those who control the means of production and those who do not. According to Marx, history should be understood not as the story of humanity's progress, but rather as an ongoing clash of opposing forces, a battle between the haves and the have-nots, as many of you know. Frederick Engels, who with Marx authored the Communist Manifesto, lambasted Columbus as the godfather of modern capitalism. According to Engels, Columbus's westward journeys unleashed the era of big commerce, quote-unquote, the world market, commerce, trade, and the birth of the bourgeoisie. They hated bourgeoisie. The discovery of America was connected with the advent of machinery, he wrote in 1847. And with that, the struggle became necessary, which we are conducting today. The struggle of the property lists against the property owners. Marx, who ironically was born on the anniversary of Columbus's sighting of the island of Jamaica, believed that the impetus for the age of exploration was the primitive accumulation of capital. According to Marx, the greed of explorers like Columbus led to the development of exploitive capitalism, characterized by the extirpation, enslavement, and entombment in mines of the aboriginal population, and the rosy dawn of the year of capitalist production. So you see, a lot of the propaganda you hear today is from Marx and Engels. From the Marxist perspective, then, Columbus is synonymous with capitalism, imperialism, and oppression of the masses. Not surprisingly, revisionist accounts of Columbus as evil were common in Soviet textbooks in the 70s and 80s. And modern-day Marxists still view Columbus as a man driven by lust for profit, quote-unquote, and condemn the holiday that bears his name as a celebration of, quote, the violent and bloody accumulation of capital for the ruling classes, unquote. Not just communists who oppose Columbus here in America, the anti-Columbus movement was sparked by white supremacists nearly 100 years ago. In the 1920s, the Ku Klux Klan promoted negative characterizations of Columbus in order to vilify Catholics and immigrants, many of whom celebrated Columbus not only as a source of ethnic and religious pride, but also as a symbol of the free and diverse society that resulted from the European presence in America. The Klan tried to prevent the erection of monuments to the great navigator, burned crosses in opposition to efforts to honor him, and argued that commemorations of his voyage were part of a papal plot. Rather than honor a Catholic explorer from the Mediterranean, Klansmen proposed honoring the Norseman Leif Erikson as the discoverer of the New World and a symbol of white pride. 
Sadly, Columbus bashing didn't die with the decline of white supremacy or the fall of the Soviet Empire. To the contrary, it went mainstream, thanks in large measure to the work of radical historians such as Howard Zinn. Zinn was a former member of the American Communist Party, who in his best-known work, A People's History of the United States, adopts the Marxist perspective that history is the story of an ongoing struggle between the ruling classes and the oppressed. A People's History sold over two million copies. It has become the foundational text in many of our nation's schools. It paints the history of America as a story of exploitation and vilifies most of our historical leaders in almost cartoonist fashion, as motivated by self-interest, greed, and deceitful compulsion to oppress the masses. Not surprisingly, Zinn blames Columbus for, quote, the violent beginnings of an intricate system of technology, business, politics, and culture that would dominate the world for the next 500 years, unquote. Although Zinn died in 2010, his radical rewriting of American history, unfortunately, lives on. In fact, as a result of the campaign against Columbus, more than 30 U.S. towns and cities, including L.A., Seattle, Denver, and Minneapolis, have voted to change the name of Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. And as I just demonstrated, they don't even know who the hell the Indigenous people are. More likely to follow suit. In five states, Alaska, Hawaii, Oregon, South Dakota, and Vermont no longer recognize the federal holiday as a day to honor Columbus. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There you have the background of why we're not supposed to support Columbus Day. But we will. Why we're supposed to support Indigenous Peoples Day, which we won't. I'll be right back. It's true that Mark Levin is the fastest-growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. This is fascinating to me as I was digging into all this today. Never really cared to before, but since it's under attack, and I'm cynical in the extreme to the efforts to change America in ways that I consider very negative... I start researching things. So we don't know, really, as a technical matter, what it means, this phrase, indigenous peoples. We do not know. The archaeologists are still debating it. Asia, Asia, Southeast Asia, Australia, Europe. Which bridge are we talking about exactly? Land bridge? We don't know. And it is irony upon ironies that in Los Angeles, which promotes illegal immigration into this country, that they're celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. As aliens illegally come into the country and settle many of them in Los Angeles. There's one more I'd like to share with you, the last one. It's by Charles Lipson. He contributes to Real Clear Politics. Unfortunately, the font is tiny and my printer is low on ink, so I'm really straining to read it. But he's a professor of political science at the University of Chicago. He says in part, in part, what the holiday Columbus Day really commemorates is a much larger event than forever changed the, the world. That forever did so. The opening of the Americas, north and south, to a permanent connection with Europe. And you see, in many respects, that's why it's hated. 
not by most of us, but by the hardcore left. That has continued unabated for over 500 years and led to momentous achievements from mass democracy to mass prosperity. The Vikings may have landed earlier in Newfoundland, but they did not begin a continuous stream of trade and migration. The Chinese may have made it as far as the West Coast, as some speculate, but then they stopped all seafaring. Whatever the archaeologists may discover, the voyages produced nothing enduring. Columbus's landing did. His discovery, coming soon after the printing press was invented, was quickly published and soon followed by explorers from all European maritime powers. Their quest for gold, silver, and, and uh, I'm trying to read here, and silver began an unbroken stream of contact and cultural exchange which made our hemisphere and later our country a creative offshoot of European civilization. Hence, ladies and gentlemen, again, let me underscore, this is why we're supposed to hate Columbus, really. As citizens, we may trace our family's ancestry to India, Iran, or China, but our civilization at bottom, well, rooted in European history, religious peoples, and culture. It's a living heritage. American courts still rely on common law doctrine forged in medieval Europe, and that is in particular England. Our religious heritage came from Jerusalem, by way of Rome, Wittenberg, and Geneva. We read Bibles translated for the court of King James. Lincoln's speeches grew out of its daily readings. We read Plato in Athens, Georgia. We study the fall of the Roman Empire with a shudder or foreboding about our own future. It was these cultural connections that America celebrated at its greatest world fair in Chicago in 1893. The Columbian Exposition celebrated the 400th anniversary of Columbus's voyage. If the 400th anniversary was big, you might expect the 500th anniversary to be even bigger. It wasn't. There was no big celebration. And of the plethora of books marking the occasion, many were sharply critical. You know, as a comment here, we are becoming a society of self-hate and self-destruction. We really are. Because the progressives control all the leverages of intellectualism, of power, of governing power, of the culture. Let me go on. America was and still is embarrassed by Columbus's discovery of America. That's why radicals have attacked Columbus statues across the country. Antifa has called for more attacks this year. It's their way of celebrating the holiday. Still, those noxious attacks are less important than the quiet confusion and awkwardness many Americans feel about celebrating Columbus's voyage of discovery. The right to feel some ambivalence, the rose-tinted histories of an earlier generation glossed over two overwhelming tragedies. The first is that European viruses arrived with the people and their animals. Local populations had no immunities, and as many as 90% died. It was the horrific, unintended effect of two isolated biosystems meeting. The second tragedy was deliberate. The enslavement of millions of Africans, transported to dig mines, harvest sugar cane, and farm cotton and tobacco across the Americas. The Middle Passage from Africa was a deadly one. They were crushing the treatment as chattel slaves inhumane. We can and should recognize these terrible dimensions of our past without consigning the whole of that history to the ash heap of romanticizing the pre-Columbian Americas. 
as a as a bucolic paradise. They weren't. Just one example. The Aztecs practiced human sacrifice on a gargantuan scale. Hundreds of thousands of human skulls, many infants, were the were the, celebrated in their religious festivities. In some, the victims' hearts were eaten as prizes. The Aztecs treated conquered tribes with such lethal contempt that when the Spanish arrived, they found eager allies en route to Tenochtitlan. Sentimentizing this harsh world, that is the pre-Columbus world, has been a standard feature of Western thought since Jean-Jacques Rousseau, his rhapsody for the uh, noble savage. In reality, if you're asking me why I'm reading slowly, I can barely see this. In reality, nearly everyone lives short, brutal lives of crushing poverty, hovering at subsistence level. A clear-eyed view of Columbus Day should cast aside this mirage of a pre-Columbian Eden, and it should face the other bitter facts of disease and slavery. Still, we can face those truths and celebrate the achievements begun by Columbus. The European voyages of discovery forged a transatlantic world. It is a world in which America and its European partners have created unprecedented levels of human freedom, material comfort, and longevity. That's a legacy worth remembering and reclaiming. You should be proud of Columbus Day. You should be proud of your country. You should be proud of what we've done in this country, of what we've accomplished in this country. And that's the nature of history. Learning from the good things about humanity. Learning of the good experiences related to humanity and carrying them forward. That's what conservatives believe. Marxists believe there's this never-ending struggle. Never-ending struggle, and it's a materialistic economic struggle between the wealthy and the poor. And And Marx got so confused with all this and wrote so confusingly about it that when challenged, well, what do you mean rich and poor? You know, there's some people who are kind of poor, but not exactly poor. Some people who are relatively wealthy, but not extremely wealthy. So he started breaking it down into categories. And this category of people would eventually become uh, allies with this category of people, and so forth and so on. Because you're not viewed as an individual human being with unalienable rights. The people who are attacking Columbus Day. I'm not talking about the unwitting boobs, the uh, the young students, or the surrogates who repeat what they hear like parrots. I'm talking about those who are behind these movements, and this one in particular, know exactly what they're doing. It's the same ilk, it's the same ideology that I write about and rediscover write about in rediscovering Americanism and the tyranny of progressivism. Everything must be about social justice. And in order to promote social justice endlessly and relentlessly, ladies and gentlemen, you must always have straw men. You must always have boogeymen. Social justice against what? Well, social injustice. So you can never be said to have improved race relations in this country. You can never be said to have improved a lot of most people in this country. 
you can never be, it can never be said that the society is a tolerant, beneficent, mostly wonderful society if you're a social justice warrior. And one day, historians looking back at multi-millionaires playing something called football who get on their knees for about 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds, to protest social injustice, only seconds later to go back on the football field, to beat the crap out of each other, chasing a ball, pushing a ball over the line, and so forth and so on, is they make more money in one year than the vast majority of Americans make in an entire lifetime. They will write about the rot of American culture and the poison that the progressives brought if they're objective and legitimate historians. And they will scratch their heads and they will wonder how a people so blessed like no other people who've ever walked the face of this earth would so easily destroy their country from within. Destroy their country from within. Now, folks, you have access to research tools that didn't even exist 20 years ago, 15 years ago, really 10 years ago. You do not need to embrace the propaganda of the left. You can stand up to it. You can be strong. You can articulate our position. Our traditions in this country, our customs, are very, very important. Otherwise, what are we left with? What are we left with? And it shouldn't just be Italians who celebrate Columbus Day. All of us should celebrate Columbus Day and join our Italian brothers and sisters. Because what Columbus brought to this country, as the Chicago professor said, was a modern world. A modern world. So we can live the way we live today. And it was not paradise before Columbus came. Not in the least. And when you hear this phrase, indigenous peoples, politely, no need to be argumentative, just politely, ask, well, what does that mean? It means Native Americans. No, not exactly. What does it mean before Native Americans? Where do they come from? And do your own research. Didn't take me long at all. Went right to National Geographic. And there are many, many other sites and debates going on if you really want to get into the weeds. But I do know this. The left doesn't care about getting into the weeds. It's about Americanism, and they want to destroy it. They want to destroy it. So the book burners of old have become the statue destroyers of new. We don't need to burn books anymore, because the left now controls the textbooks, for the most part. American history really isn't taught. Social justice agenda is taught. Exactly as John Dewey, an early progressive, demanded. Don't teach history and mathematics and literature by the numbers. No, 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 no. Everything, everything should be painted with the social justice progressive agenda. Now we have debates in our public schools over whether we should call Columbus Day Columbus Day. 
in addition to the battles over what kind of food we can have in our cafeterias, in addition to the battles over what kind of a bathroom a little boy or a little girl should go to. All kinds of battles going on there today that were unleashed by the prior administration and by the ideology of the progressives. Can't even watch football on a relaxing Sunday. No. Well, at the same pablum. And then we're told, hey, they have rights. The football players have rights. It's not about rights. It's about respect. Nobody said they can't speak and kneel and stand on their head or do whatever the hell they want to do. It's about respect for the country that provides them with a life of enormous luxury and fame, which it could never have been dreamt of. Never. Half a century ago. I'll be right back. Lots of other stuff for the rest of the program. We will talk about this, but there are other things too. We all hear the stories in the news. The good guy uses a gun to protect his family from criminals, and then he's the one who gets arrested. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the Second Amendment isn't about slaughtering people. It's about protecting people. The Second Amendment isn't about committing crimes. The Second Amendment is about keeping the peace, protecting liberty. I just want to make that clear. Thanks to our court system, a lot of people who use guns to defend themselves and their families, they become the defendants. And that can happen to you unless you're fully prepared. And here's how you can take a simple and rewarding journey to conceal carry and home defense confidence. It's called the 2017 Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide. And it's from the U.S. Concealed Carry Association, and it's 100% free. You'll learn how to detect attackers before they see you, how to survive a mass shooting, the safest and most dangerous places to sit in a restaurant, and how to responsibly own and store a gun, even if you have little ones, and a whole lot more. Again, we're about peace and safety and law and order. Now, this is 164 pages. It comes with a bonus audio version, so you can listen to it while you're in your car. This life-changing guide is 100% free, and for a limited time, you'll also get a bonus home defense checklist. Visit DefendThem.com right now for 100% free instant access. Once again, that's DefendThem.com, DefendThem.com. Columbus Day. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Abandoned it, right? No, I don't think so. Let's take a call. Let's slip one in. Well, let me just say this first. Let me just say this first. I've hinted to it. Now I want to expand on it. Don't you see an irony in the progressive, radical left? That they want open borders. They do not want to secure our borders. They do not want to retain the nation as is. They oppose assimilation. They oppose it. And so you create balkanization, 
and diversity without assimilation, which is a destructive brew. And yet they support illegal immigration, illegal aliens coming into the country by the millions. And yet they reject Columbus Day and promote Indigenous Peoples Day. So when it comes to immigration policy, they promote illegal alien uh, immigration every day. When it comes to Columbus Day, they claim to support Indigenous Peoples Day, even though they can't even define what Indigenous Indigenous Peoples are. Do you find that interesting, Mr. Producer? In other words, anything, anything to destroy America, anything to destroy the American spirit, anything to destroy American patriotism, they'll grab it right off the shelf, doesn't matter. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. You know, uh... I'm just going to hit this quickly. I want to get onto another matter. Maybe we'll address it in the third hour if you're interested. These uh, protests by the NFL players, they've lost all substance. In other words, because of the diversity of arguments by players, or the non-statements by players, verbal statements... And the uh, surrogates in the media, mostly sports broadcasters, projecting on top of them what they want to project on top of these these kneelers. Um, The entire purpose of the NFL protests are ambiguous. At best, they're ambiguous. May even be non-existent. Looks like now it's just a, a fight over the power of wills. Right? And to me, and I think millions of you, the players are looking dumber and dumber. Uh, They did the very best they could early on. First to trash the cops, like Kaepernick. Then the pullback from that. Then when uh, Patriots, concerned about what they were doing, was uh, demeaning uh, not just the police, but also the military and veterans, and so forth. Then the players and their surrogates reversed course, and were trying to explain it as a social justice issue. But here's the thing. The vast majority of Americans don't hate their country. The vast majority of Americans know America is imperfect. But they're not social justice warriors. Even more important to the NFL, the vast majority of the people who fill those stadiums and watch their TV, uh, watch their games, their TV on Sundays and Monday nights, and Thursday nights, and virtually every other night, They're not social justice warriors. They're accountants. They're engineers. They're truck drivers. They're electricians. They're plumbers. They're mechanics. They're coal miners. 
on and on and on. They're the people who make this country great. Not the pseudo-intellectuals, not the progressive ideologues, not the Democrat uh, activists, not Antifa, not Black Lives Matter, not the ACLU, no. That's not the bread and butter of the National Football League, or really any sports. And what the uh, people who live in the bubble, most sportscasters and their surrogates and their mouthpieces don't understand is, we don't agree with what they're doing. It's that simple. We don't agree with it. And the way we show it is by doing something else. People are ticked off. They're ticked off. You know, it, it would be one thing if the players themselves could show that somehow they personally have been put down by the system. But that's not what we see. We see men who have benefited enormously from the system. Of course, hard work and all around. I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying the system allows them to become multi-multi-millionaires, live in the lap of luxury, to uh, live in ways that I don't even want to describe in many cases. They don't live the lives of quote-unquote average Americans. They live like kings of old. Like kings of old. And they have taken that celebrity and they've abused it. There are ways to protest. There are places to protest. There's times to protest. And also, if you're really a social justice warrior, prove it. Not a weekend or weekday in their case. Weekday warrior or three weeks out of the year warrior. If you're a social justice warrior, prove it. Prove it. But they can't prove it because they're not. They seem to think getting down on the knee for 30 to 60 seconds uh, shows that they're, uh, they're up with the revolution. Or they're up with some objection. Or they're up with social justice. Or whatever it is. Which is almost incoherent at this point. And the public doesn't like it. And for good reason. And I thought what the vice president did this weekend was outstanding. I don't care if it was choreographed or not. These players getting down on the knee, that's all choreographed. They talk in advance. They decide what they're going to do. Should we stay in the tunnel? Should we put our fist in the air after the national anthem? Should we put our fist in the air while we're on the field? Should we get on a knee? Should we hold arms? I mean, what the players are doing now, the vast majority of it is not spontaneous. It's choreographed. We're a team. And what the vice president has done as the president did before him, has exposed it. That is not one whit to me, whether it was planned in advance or not. It was a good thing to do, to leave. Anyway, President Trump unveiled a very good plan to deal with uh, immigration. He said, okay, uh, in exchange for my surrender on DACA, and that's what it is. That's what it is. I've got a 70-point plan, an enforcement plan, 
that I want Congress to adopt. Now, maybe they'll adopt 50 points. That's fine. But he puts out a 70-point plan, and it's a great point. He wants the wall built. He wants the employment verification system throughout the country. And he wants it not voluntary, but required. And it goes on and on and on. He wants to end chain migration. This is crucially important in my view. So most of the things that you've talked to me about for more than a decade here when it comes to immigration, legal and illegal, that you support are in his 70-point plan, a 70-point plan. And I think over at the White House, including the president, they wisely realized he can't sell out to Schumer and Pelosi And if you're going to uh, reverse course on DACA, then you damn well better get a lot for it. And I think the president realized that. And of course, it's been attacked immediately uh, by Chuck and Nancy. And of course, Luis Gutierrez has attacked it as evidence of uh, white supremacy, as he would, because he's a moron. Because he's a moron. And uh, let's see here. So the president's under attack for doing what he said he would do with respect to immigration in the second respect, not in terms of DACA. And uh, let's see here. I'm going to leave that. There was one other thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is what I meant to do. Bob Corker. I got so much on my table here that I want to hit. Bob Corker. Now, anybody who's listened to the show, even for a short period of time, knows I have nothing but dripping contempt for Bob Corker. Bob Corker was a real estate developer, made a lot of money at a very young age. Bourgeoisie, you communists would call him. And uh, from there, he was commissioner of something or other in the state of Tennessee. From there, he became mayor of Chattanooga. And from there, he became a foreign policy expert in the United States Senate. I've often wondered, well, how did he become a foreign policy expert? Well, he just did. He's a foreign policy expert. And Donald Trump is rightly eviscerating him. And I don't know why he was playing footsie with him for so long. Donald Trump considered him for vice president. Donald Trump considered him for secretary of state. And while he was under cons- uh, consideration for these positions with Trump, he was kissing Trump's butt. He had nothing but wonderful things to say about Trump. Now, all of a sudden, Trump is dangerous. He's going to create World War III. Uh, He needs to be controlled by the generals. He needs to be contained. And he's not the only one that thinks that. All the other geniuses in the Senate caucus, the Republicans, think the same way as they sit there, a failed bunch of buffoons. So Trump was tweeting away, letting this guy have it, Corker. And he should have. Because Corker's been out there really trashing Trump in the worst way. And he goes to the New York Times today or yesterday, which, of course, is where every conservative goes, right? Just saying the most outrageous left-wing talking point cheap shot stuff about Trump. You can disagree with Trump, but the guy sounds like Bernie Sanders. Sounds like Chuck Schumer. He's a little weasel. Now, let me tell you my problem with uh, the great Bob Corker with all the foreign policy experiences, mayor of Chattanooga. Bob Corker 
is almost as responsible as Barack Obama for this Iran deal. Bob Corker was happy to take the point of the spear and eviscerate Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 of the Constitution, the Treaty Clause, that requires two-thirds of the senators present to ratify a treaty. Two-thirds of the senators present. Because as Hamilton wrote in Federalist 75, and all you leftists, I thought you loved Hamilton. You got a show on Broadway, uh, you're going to take him off the money, but then you say, wait a minute, he was against slavery, put him back. Anyway, uh, all you uh, left-wing Hamilton lovers, I, I like Hamilton a lot, but for different reasons than the left does. Read Federalist 75, relevant parts. And what he says in summation, Hamilton, is, look, if we're going to have legal arrangements with other countries, other countries in this country, our country, it cannot be left to one man and one man alone to institute those arrangements. The broader body politic must be involved. That's the reason for the Treaty Clause, Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2, the first sentence. The broader body politic must be involved. So a supermajority of senators present, so they can't play games, you know, a bunch of them aren't there, and you can't get two-thirds. Framers were brilliant. Two-thirds of the senators present. And, of course, back then, the senators came, you know, from the state legislatures or were appointed, or there was a popular election, depending on what the state legislatures chose to do. Not today, of course. But still, it's important. So Corker worked with this left-wing moron from Maryland, Cardin. Cardin. Comes across, oh, I'm a nice guy, but left-wing kook. And they came up with this idea. We have an idea. Here's how we'll get this process going. Rather than the president submitting it as a treaty to the Senate, because we can't force him to do that, you know, I'll get to that in a minute. Can't force the president to submit it, he could go directly to the UN, you know. Which Obama, of course, threatened because he hates America. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He said, we have an idea. Here's what we'll do. We'll pass a statute. And the process will be this. We have to vote against the deal Obama cuts with the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. That's right. The whole Congress votes against it. So you got the House and the Senate. So ladies and gentlemen, rather than requiring two-thirds of the senators present in the Senate to ratify a treaty, it would take a vote of the House and the Senate to stop a non-treaty deal with Iran. Oh, and you know they have that little rule there in the United States Senate. Remember the filibuster rule? It would take 60 senators to overturn Obama's Iranian deal. That was never going to happen, and Bob Corker had to know that. 42 senators wound up preventing Preventing the overturning of Obama's Iranian deal. And if they had cobbled together two more senators for a total of 60 senators, then the president could have vetoed what Congress had done, which would require 67 senators to overturn the veto. 
Corker made absolutely 100% certain that the Iran deal, whatever it was, whatever it was, would be imposed on the American people. He abandoned the treaty clause. He paved the way for the Iran deal. And even worse, he's created a precedent, an unconstitutional precedent in my view, that the president on his own decides what is or is not worthy of treatment as a treaty. And that's one of the arguments he made. Look, I can't force the president to submit it to the Senate as a treaty. You read that Federalist 75. The Senate has its own role in this process. Two bodies of government. And I said at the time, and I'll say it again, the Senate should have treated it as a treaty, whether Obama would submit it to the Senate or not, and they should have defeated it. They can take their case to the Supreme Court or leave it the way it was. I'll be right back. in. time to do what I'm about to do, there's only a right time, but I don't do it enough, and that is to thank you, my beloved audience, for tuning in. Levinites is what we call ourselves, and it's a good word. It's a national town hall event that we have here every night. We discuss ideas, we discuss history. We don't just pull things off websites and say, okay, here's today's show. Or if I see things on websites, news, I think to myself, we've got to dig a little more deeply into this. Like, what does it mean, indigenous peoples? What does that mean? And how do we know? And these people who trash Columbus, what's the response to that? We need to respond. We need to, we need to engage. We need to challenge it. I find it fascinating. Troubling as hell. But fascinating. And I'm in a time slot, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and of course other times all over the country, all over the world. But at least on the East Coast and in part of the Midwest, it's a tough time. Because there's so many other things you can be doing. Um, And we compete with sports, we compete with dinner, we compete with a lot of stuff. And yet here you are. That's why you're Levinites. You're the most loyal, most intelligent audience I could possibly wish for, and there possibly could be, as a matter of fact. We're going to have uh, down the road some uh, new affiliate announcements as we make some adjustments in one market or another. And I'm very excited about that, too. We've got some things in the works that I will tell you about as the time comes. But But they are in the works. So, uh, and of course, you can always catch us, you know, online. You can always catch us on apps, iPod downloads, as millions and millions of you do. All right, I'm going to take some of your calls when we come back. There's still other things I want to get into. Chris Matthews the other day. I'm no fan of this fool. We'll be right back. with passion. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now. 877-381-3811. 
You look at the turmoil all over the world, even in our own country, quite frankly. You got to think to yourself, can this affect me directly? Can it affect my job? Can it affect my investments? And of course it can. And um, you look what's going on now with the Iranian deal. Iran making threats again. Of course, North Korea making threats. Uh, Republicans don't even talk anymore about debt or controlling government spending, do they? The president doesn't. The Republican leadership doesn't. So there are serious things going on, serious risks that can affect your life. They can affect your life's work, your career. They can affect the assets you have. Take the steps to protect yourself now so you're prepared for the future. Did you know gold has survived financial devastation, wars, currency failures throughout the centuries? It's better to gain peace of mind now than look back and wish you did. In fact, do what you needed to do. Prepare. For a limited time, Goldline is offering price protection for three months on orders as low as $2,500. This is an amazing special from Goldline. I want to encourage you to check it out. It's a very simple toll-free number. 877-365-COIN. 877-365-COIN. Be sure to read their important risk information to be sure buying gold is right for you. 877-365-COIN. That's 877-365-2646. All right, we've got a lot out there. So let's engage. Let me see here. Ted, Salt Lake City, Utah, the great KKAT. Go. Oh, hi, Mark. Uh, hey, your uh, research on indigenous people was outstanding. Um, yeah, so I'm a you know an old white guy here from Utah, but I do have some uh, actually some Native American cousins, and what I've learned from them is that this symbolic uh, name stuff like for Columbus Day, indigenous people or the Washington Redskins and so on is meaningless to them. It doesn't help them at all with their their problems. You know, like on the reservation, they've got. I mean, poverty and unemployment and mortality and drugs and gangs and, you know, on and on and on. And this stuff doesn't uh, help them a bit. But what I wanted to point out is uh, about 10 years ago, one of my cousins uh, who's about my age died. He'd been in the Marine Corps for about a decade, and he was a smoke jumper and a firefighter and father and grandfather. But he had uh, alcohol killed him to put make it Anyway, so I was looking on the obituary, and you know how it says that, uh, okay, this person was, was survived by so-and-so and so-and-so and preceded in death by these people. And I looked at that, and I thought, man, there's a lot of young people in this family dying. So I put together a list from, from my own family that was an apples-to-apples apples list of, you know, parents, children, grandchildren, right. and so on. So it was uh, equivalent. And I found that the mortality rate, the calculated mortality rates, mortality rates for my family of, you know, white Utah people, the mortality rate was zero. The, for the, uh, my Apache cousin. Zero? Hold on, uh, zero? Yeah, my. How many people are we talking about? Oh, about, uh, 15 to 20. So this is, this is not scientific. This is definitely right. anecdotal. But okay. let me get to the so on the, the yeah we're running out of time get to it okay the equivalent group of the Native American cousins their mortality rate was thirty one percent mine was zero 
Well, one of the reasons is this whole reservation system that was set up uh, by the federal government uh, and rather than the assimilation process. And you also have tribes that don't want the assimilation process. So, But the problem is these reservations are dirt poor. They're in some of the poorest places in the country, some of the most difficult places really to to progress, to uh, to succeed. And, of course, they've become, in many respects, welfare states. And you have enormous unemployment, as you point out, alcoholism, drug abuse, and it's truly, truly a sad thing, which really doesn't get enough attention. Thank you for your call, my friend. Let's go to Rodney in Stamford, Connecticut, on the Mark Levin app. Go ahead. Yes, uh, uh, Mr. Levin. Uh, yes, sir. M- M- President Obama signed a treaty with Iran in good faith. And President no, he Trump- didn't sign a treaty. Well, President Trump has has absolutely no right whatsoever to break that treaty. Okay, let's slow down. You've said it twice. Now, are you going to keep saying something that's false? Because it won't. Uh, uh, hold on, I'm educating you. You're going to keep saying something that's false in order to have a discussion, or you've already gotten to the finish line and you don't give a damn. Let me oh. try again. This is not a treaty. Got it? Well. What, it, it seems to have kept the peace in the Middle East, and the Iranians will deeply resent Have you it. looked in the Middle East lately? What are you talking about? Well, what's going to happen is that the Iranians will stop... Hold on now, that's a second falsehood. The Iranians are spreading terrorism. The Iranians are arming Hezbollah with hundreds of millions of dollars, as well as Hamas. The Iranians have toppled the legitimate government of Yemen. The Iranians are trying to take over the military, quite frankly, in Iraq... They've declared war, in essence, as of others, against the Kurds, who are Muslims. Uh, they're moving uh, missile building facilities into Syria. What do you mean it's kept the peace? What the hell are you talking about? The only reason why Trump wants to get away, distance himself from this, from, from the, from this Iranian accord is because he wants to pave the way where we fight the war for the Zionists and fight for Israel. Now and get they- off the air, you creep. Wish I could reach through this phone and teach you a lesson. They lie to sneak through. We get inundated with pukes like this. Inundated. Fight the war for Israel? You clown. They're building ICBMs. They don't need ICBMs for Israel. They need ICBMs to hit Europe, to hit the United States. I got to educate this fool? Sounds like a fat slob too, doesn't he, Mr. Producer? You know, the only is the Zeus and the Israeli creep. Yeah. Anyway, so there you have it. All right, let's move along. Bill, Kingsport, Tennessee, the great WJCW. Go. Hey, thank you so much for taking my call. And I'm honored, beyond belief, to, to actually speak with the great one, Denali. I mean, that's, oh, thank I mean, this you. Is, this will make my day, make my week. I mean, I can't believe I'm talking to you. Anyway. I appreciate <laughs> so, that. Yes, so... Um, I'm thankful for all the education that you have provided that I've been able to take advantage of. Um, I remember back in 2015 when you were speaking about this um, Bob Corker bill and how disappointed I was in my own senator, Bob Corker, and how disappointed I am also with Lamar Alexander. Most everybody I know that voted for either one is very, very disappointed with both. And... We look forward to getting rid of both of them. And Bob Corker, 
I'm a little nervous, Mark. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, the Tea Party movement, much of it in uh, Tennessee, fell for uh, Lamar Alexander's BS this time around, which was uh, really quite troubling to me. But anyway, back on Corker. Go ahead. Well, yes, and but uh, you you helped educate all of us about him, and we're just disappointed with him down here. And he would have – I do not believe that he has a chance to win again if he were to run again. And I think mm. Trump is correct that it would only so – you know, even his endorsement may help him a little bit, but I still don't think it would help enough. It would be like the Alabama race. Mm. Even his endorsement wouldn't help. But yeah. it's the only chance he would have, I think. But All right, my Lamar, friend. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Lamar actually got less than 50% of the vote in his last run, which is in the primary, that is. And that was the worst any Republican senator who won the primary. That's the worst that they have done, I think, ever or at least 100 years. Well, these primary systems, many of them, are set up by the, the entrenched Republican uh, operatives in each state. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And they, uh, a lot of times they have open primary systems in order to make sure their candidate can win because they concern, they, they're concerned about the conservative base. It just depends on the state and how it runs. Bill, thanks for your call. Call again, my friend. Mac, Melgrove, California, the great KSFO. Go. Hey, uh, Mark. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a long-time listener. Thank first you. First-time caller. And I want to thank you for the education that you've given me uh, over the years. Now, I'm calling about this um, NFL players uh, kneeling. I'm an African-American, and I get a lot of flack from my family and my friends because I'm telling them it's unpatriotic. It's disrespectful. I mean, they have the right to kneel, to turn backflips, or whatever, but it's disrespectful because mm -hmm. if one of their, say, their son, their daughter, uh, one of their loved ones came home in a casket with mm -hmm. a flag draped over it, I wonder if they would stand in. I wonder that they would disrespect that flag. So I'm on a mission to educate people with the education that you've given me. And so I just wanted to make that comment. It's very, very disrespectful for folks to kneel instead of standing. And, Mark, you have inspired me to stop complaining and to get engaged and to do something. So I listen to you every day, number one. And then number two, I took it a step further. I, I actually wrote a song. It's called Stand for My Country. Stand oh, really? for My Country. Don't kneel, don't complain, but be grateful. This great country has given us a lot of benefits. So stand for my country. So where can we hear this song? At, at standformycountry.com. And I'm going right. to send you a copy. I'm sending you a copy of the song, a digital copy. I'll email it, and I'm going to also send... A hard copy, but if, you know, you listen, go to standformycountry.com. It's a great song. It's an inspiring song. And, Mark, I believe when you hear the song, you'll say, whoa, maybe that should be my tagline. Stand there you for go, my Mac. Country. All right, buddy. I appreciate your call. Kareem, Huntsville, Alabama, the great WVNN. Quickly, go. All right, quickly, Mark. Listen, the reason why they kneeling has nothing at all to do with the flag. It has nothing at all to do with this country. What it is, is that police do not get held accountable for the things that they do. It's been happening. I'm sure they do. Years old. No, sure they, they don't. Do. It's been happening since, I mean, you can go back. Well, why don't they? I was 10 years old. They Green, don't answer my question. Why aren't they held accountable? Because the, our judicial system don't hold them accountable. 
point so of the judicial there. system. Hold on now. Just follow me step by step, okay? So our judicial system needs to be held accountable. One side, you only get to hear they one side of the story. Kareem, Kareem, one piece at a time. So our judicial system is corrupt. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying the way that the system is set up, Mark. Okay, for for instance, over the weekend, officer shot a man in the back three times. That ran. Now listen, away. I don't know. I don't know anything about it, and I don't defend every single thing that takes place. But here's what I know, Kareem. If you got a problem, who do you call? Excuse me. If you have a problem, who do you call? I, I don't. I've I learned a long time ago not to call oh. the police. So you've never called the cops. When I was 11 years old, a police officer held a gun to the back of my head. I know not to call the police. I know, but but but, but Kareem, I can get a thousand people calling here to tell me the good deeds that police do. Call them. And that would include. Hold on. That would include African Americans. You understand that? And there's African American cops who listen to this program. And, I'm and they would. And they hold on now. And they would tell you the same thing. Now we know we have the stats from the cities, from the rest of the country, kept by the federal government, on who is killing whom and who is assaulting whom. Right? Do we have that information? For killing an unarmed citizen. For killing an unarmed black. Answer. Man. Answer my question. Do we have that information? What about the we do? We, do we know that more white people are shot by cops than black people? We do. Yes, we yeah, do. We do. We do. We know that more white people are shot by cops, but the thing is, they don't go to jail. That is the main. You don't. Thing. You don't know that. Yes, I do. How do you Name know that? But, give me one, Mark. Well, I don't have names, Kareem, but maybe you can give us a site to look at. Tell the whole country where do we go to get this information. Hold what? On. I can go back 1987. Eleanor Bumpers. She was shotgun in her. Kitchen. Right, listen to me, Kareem. Listen to me, Kareem. You may have some specific examples of that, and there are thousands of examples of the opposite of that. And what I'm telling you, did you, you saw what took place in Las Vegas, right? You saw. Hold on now. You saw what took place in Las Vegas, right? Exactly. And were we glad the cops were there? Of course, we was glad the cops. Well, were there. I guess I guess we're not taking the knee against all cops, are we? This is what I'm saying, Mark. Y'all try to twist it and make it seem like somebody hates this country, and that is not the problem. I think they do hate this country, because let me tell you something, Kareem. When you know there's men and women who have fought in the military, or men and women who've lost their children in war, or their husband and their sister, or whomever it is, and veterans who, who come to these games without legs and without arms or without, or without an eye, and people who have really put their lives on this line for this country. And by the way, of all races and all backgrounds and all the rest. And they are telling you that they view this as disrespectful of them, disrespectful of this country. And they are telling you that they fought and put their lives on the line for that flag and to sing that anthem. Yes, it's anti-American. Mr. Producer keeps telling me to get off, get off, get off. Or I would talk to you. Kareem, call me again, okay? I got to go. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, my pal Kyle Cox, an owner of the Houston-based Blindster.com, is helping his city recover from the ravages of Harvey. A portion of every purchase from Blindster.com that's BlindsTER.com, goes to the city of Houston's Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. 
Kyle will give you a great deal on custom blinds, shades, or shutters while you help the folks in Houston at the same time. Blindster.com showed me how easy it is to measure and install my own blinds, and they can show you too. Kyle started the entire online window treatment industry. You'll always get Kyle's personal fit or a free guarantee, and if for any reason your blinds don't fit, even if you messed up, Blindster will make the new sizes needed for free. You only pay shipping. And get this, Kyle gives you, my listeners, a whopping 40% off your entire order. If you can use a tape measure and turn a screwdriver, you can install custom-made window treatments. Enter promo code MARK at checkout for 40% off your entire order while helping the people of Houston at the same time. It's blindster.com, blinds, T-E-R.com, promo code MARK. I wanted to talk to Kareem longer. Do you know, it's radio. I ran out of time. Ran out of time. I'm not saying there aren't instances of police abuse. Uh, there are more instances of uh, civilian abuse against cops, I can tell you that much. And Kareem is an interesting caller to me. I like to engage people who disagree with me. I don't care what their race is, their religion, their background, and so forth. I bet he couldn't name a single cop who was murdered in the line of duty. Not one. Not a single cop who was murdered in the line of duty. Not a single African-American cop who was murdered in the line of duty. Not a single African-American cop who was murdered in the line of duty in the race of the perpetrator who murdered him or her. Because that's where Kareem's coming from. And if you know that what you're dealing in that fo- doing in that football stadium is offending and upsetting a large number of individuals who put their lives on the line in combat or who were horribly wounded in combat or families, Gold Star families or people in the stadium who are vets or people in the stadium who wear their injuries, then you ought not do it. You should find another way to protest. I don't give a damn what the football players think. They have, quote-unquote, no skin in the game. It's the people who fought for this country, and yes, it's the police officers, and men and women like that who have skin in the game. Who have skin in the game every damn day. And I'm also tired of this idea we have police brutality... And so all the cops, all the all the police departments, all the rest of them are to be condemned and we're supposed to protest them. No, I don't think so. Again, the vast majority of Americans don't think that way either. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting them from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Helps if I turn the mic on, doesn't it? Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Chris Matthews, by the way, I meant to thank Diane Bongino for sitting in front. I am helping a family member, which is why from time to time I am not here. Chris Matthews on MSLSD last week wins the Chuck Todd Award for constitutional and 
American historical illiteracy. Cut one, Mr. Producer, go. Well, you know what the Republicans say in their platform? That the right to bear arms precedes the Constitution. It's a God-given sort of theological right. They treat this like religion, Governor. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's a religious essential notion to them that everybody should have any kind of gun they want. Any, a, a bazooka, a tank, they never put a limit on it, ever. Okay, let, let, let me help him out with the spittle coming out of his uh, inner recesses. And winding up on his uh, loafers. Again, an ignoramus that we're dealing with here. He does not comprehend that unalienable rights precede the Constitution. They even precede the Declaration of Independence. It's not a theological matter. Natural law and the laws of nature. For some people it's a theological matter. For some people it is not. We need to send a copy of Rediscovering Americanism to Matthews if he has the capacity to comprehend what he reads or the willingness to open his mind, which is uh, heavily cloistered. Do you have God-given unalienable rights? You have rights that belong to you regardless of the Constitution. The Constitution exists to nurture and protect those rights doesn't create those rights. The Declaration is a statement of the fundamental principles which undergird your rights as an individual human being. The right to defend yourself is a meaningless right. The right to your body, the right to your mind, the right to your circle of liberty, the right to have a family, to protect your family, to protect what's yours, to protect your home is utterly meaningless if you don't have any way to protect it or to protect them. It's, it's, of, it's of no consequence. Before there was a Declaration of Independence, before there was a Constitution, you had these rights, these unalienable rights. The Declaration is an affirmative, formal statement by a new country underscoring those rights you see you see chris matthews these are rights that are bigger than obamacare or the welfare state or social justice warrior or any of that stuff it's about individualism and it's about individual liberty it's about the civil society it's about right and wrong good and evil The, the people on the left who are on TV are so moronic, are so devoid of substance. It's appalling. He talks fast, and he thinks if you talk fast, it shows that you're smart. It shows that you're smart. No, it's not about bazookas and tanks. You know who's allowed to possess and own bazookas and tanks? The state militia under the Second Amendment. This armed militia under the Second Amendment, they either won't talk about it or they distort it. This isn't about what I want or what I believe. Here are the facts. The Second Amendment to the Constitution proposed by the first Congress, the first Congress, 
voted by two-thirds of the members of the House, two-thirds of the members of the Senate, adopted by over three-fourths of the state legislatures, conventions, ratified. They're the ones who put the Second Amendment in the Constitution as part of the Bill of Rights. The militia part of the Second Amendment was intended to have an armed state militia. Now, why would you need an armed state militia? Well, I can tell you why they thought they did if the central government became too oppressive. Now, these are the facts, whether people like it or not. I'm not encouraging anything. I'm just explaining it. And the purpose of the Bill of Rights, in various respects, is to protect state sovereignty, but the main purpose of the Bill of Rights is to protect individual sovereignty. And the Second Amendment protects individual sovereignty with the right to bear arms, and it protects state sovereignty with the rights of a state to have an armed militia. And by the way, these weren't created rights under the Bill of Rights. These were viewed as unalienable rights, a recognition as a matter of constitutional law of rights that predate the Constitution, but are affirmatively set forth in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Now, I don't know of a lot of people who are arguing for the right to a tank, because you don't really need a tank to protect yourself, that is, your person or your property. You don't really need a bazooka to protect yourself, your person or property, and I know there are people out there who disagree with me. Who cares? They're talking about conventional weaponry. That a colonist, that an American citizen, has an unalienable right to possess first and foremost to protect himself and his family it's not about hunting it's not about target shooting that's all well and good I have no problem with it I target shoot I do not hunt but I target shoot and you don't need a bazooka or a tank to defend yourself and the state militia exists at least theoretically at least historically to defend the state and the citizens of the state from an oppressive central government that's why it's there now does the Second Amendment make sense to Chris Matthews? Of course not. Because he's a clown. Part of the conga line of freaks on MSNBC. So now that you know the background, let's listen to him again. Now you'll think he's on the comedy channel. Cut one, go. Well, you know what the Republicans say in their platform? That the right to bear arms precedes the Constitution. It's a God-given sort of theological right. They treat this like religion, Governor. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's a religious essential notion to them that everybody should have any kind of gun they want. Any, a, a bazooka, a tank, they never put a limit on it, ever. Yes, we do. We never debate about bazookas and tanks. We're very concerned about, and by the way, the left doesn't talk about bazookas and tanks either. Or background checks, whether you're mentally ill, without any explicit definitions of what they mean by that. Um, this device, that device, guns that look this way, guns that look that way. There's no debate about bazookas and tanks. There are debates about common citizens, common weaponry, because that's the focus of the left. 
the bazookas and the tanks are in the possession of the government and the state militia. They're not in the possession of the individual. It's not a threat. And Diane Feinstein on Deface the Nation, Diane Frankenfeinstein, finally blurts out the truth, as she did on Sunday. Cut two, go. Could there have been any law passed that would have stopped him? No. Um, he, he passed um, background checks registering for handguns and other weapons uh, on multiple occasions. We're talking about the mass murder subhuman barbarian in Las Vegas. No, he passed background checks registering for handguns and other weapons on multiple occasions. Now, I don't know that we know all of that is true, but let's just assume it is. So what law would have stopped him? You know, I started this discussion after the Dems and the Libs and the rest started their gun control stuff within 24 hours of the slaughter in Las Vegas. And I said, all right, we're going to have to engage this now. We're going to have to engage them. And I spent almost two hours discussing, okay, what law would have stopped him? And the answer is none. Because if it wasn't that, the device he used, the bump stock, would have been something else. Just saying. Then she states further on Meet the Press, cut three, go. There is um, still a lot of dissent over the court's uh, decision with respect to the Second Amendment. Be that as it may, uh, the court has decided and Americans generally fall in line. So let's say from the perspective of this decision, it is legal for an American to carry a weapon. It's legal for them to drive a car. However, they register that car. We should perhaps look, and, and, and the NRA says, uh, you know, guns don't kill people. Uh, uh, people kill people. Well, cars don't kill people. People driving them kill people. And so there are a lot of things. How many of you have used a car in self-defense? Have you used a car in self-defense, Mr. Producer? Is that why you own a car? Just in case somebody breaks into your house, you'll hit them over the head with a car? Is that what you would do? You get in the car and you run them over? In your living room? Tell me, uh, over there in the Capitol building, they have Capitol Police, and these are wonderful, wonderful, brave men and women. As we know, on multiple occasions, they've, uh, they've stood up and they've, they've defended members of Congress and protected the public. What are they armed with? Volkswagens? What are they armed with? Chevys? No, they're armed with weapons, guns. Why is that? To protect people. Well, Mark, they're not related to the Second Amendment. That's not my point. Again, the original purpose of the Second Amendment isn't about target shooting, although certainly you're free to do it if you own a weapon. In many respects, I should say it was for hunting so people could provide for themselves. But the reason, the right to bear an arm is to protect yourself, protect your family, protect your family. Uh, your uh, your property. That's not the point of an automobile. The point of an automobile is to take you from point A to point B. Nobody's worried about the government confiscating automobiles. So that's not even rational. But go ahead. It would be done to make it safer. 
but every single one has been... Let's stop. Let's assume every weapon that the mass-murdering barbarian subhuman used and owned was registered. How would that have stopped them? I don't even understand it. How would that stop him from anything? What's the point of that? What is the point of gun registration? And may I ask you a question? If you're going to kill somebody, you have an evil mind, you're a devil, and you want to kill somebody, are you going to say, you know what, Myrtle, i got to register this gun before I blow away so-and-so. You know what, Myrtle, before uh, this MS-13 gang member, uh, uh, he should be uh, forced to sign to register his gun. You know what, Myrtle, if... uh, if the uh, if the subhuman mass murdering barbarian in Las Vegas, if he had only registered his weapons, it would have been avoided. Again, what does that have to do with anything, anything whatsoever? Nothing. It would stop nothing. It won't stop the gang members in Chicago or any other city. It won't stop mass murders. I'll give you another example. I keep talking about Newtown because they keep bringing it up. Here you have a woman who owned rifles legally, legally, with background checks and all the rest, and had them in her rifle uh, case or safe. Her mentally ill son kills her in bed. He goes to the rifle safe, takes out the rifles, goes into that elementary school, and horrifically slaughters all those kids. Now, what law would stop anything if those Rifles were registered in a federal registry. What would that have to do with anything? Nothing. They all have answers and none of them work. In my humble opinion. Go ahead. Posed by a very powerful organization that then goes out to get any congressman or senator that votes to the contrary. And that's a fact of life. Well, then I recommend, Diane Feinstein, that you introduce an amendment to the Constitution. And you get two-thirds of your fellow senators to vote for it, two-thirds of your, of your across-the-hall House members to vote for it, and send it to the state legislatures so three-fourths of the state legislatures can ratify it. Because it's only common sense. It's only common sense if the people really wanted what Feinstein offers, the people would get it. But they don't. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, we, we debate and waste so much time in this country with so much nonsense, and the left just drags us into this stuff. And it's endless. Absolutely endless. Well, let's see here. Let's let's take a few people. Let's get some regular Americans on here, can we? Let's give it a... Well, let's see. Okay, let's take this one, I guess. Joe, Los Angeles, the Mark Levin app. Go ahead. Uh, thank you for taking my call, Mr. Levin. Um, I have a follow-up to the previous caller. So basically, I have a question. It's more of a question than a statement, but it's more of a question. So when the president and the U.S. soldiers take an oath, do they take an oath to the Constitution, the flag, or the national anthem? And I have a follow-up question. 
And why does that matter? Because I have a feeling that there's this a is lot not of... About, this is not about the president taking an oath. This is about... In fact, it has almost nothing to do with the president. It has to do with the people of the United States who love their country and are disgusted by multimillionaires who are treated uh, like kings, who are fabulously uh, popular as a result of what this country has to offer to anybody who works hard, or most people who work hard. Let me ask you a question, Joe. you have any family members who carry the flag into battle? But I never got an answer to my question. Well, so, what was your question? I answered your question. So, the oath is irrelevant. This has nothing to do with the oath. So did, you take, did, you, did you take the oath to uphold the Constitution? I did. And so well, fan, fans I, don't have to take an oath to uphold the Constitution. They're fans. But that... That is a distinction here, right? Because the, the flag No, it's is- not. It's absolutely irrelevant. Because if I'm, if I'm Joe uh, Sixpack and I'm a fan going to a football game and I don't like the way these guys are disrespecting the national anthem or the American flag, what does that have to do with a fan taking an oath of office? I don't even follow you. I'm trying to keep... keep you're not trying to do anything. You think you're clever and you're coming across like a moron. No disrespect intended, of course. I'll be right back. Liberty's Voice. Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. If they want it, they'll take it, you know. Your paycheck, your bank accounts, everything. The IRS doesn't mess around, and they recently added hundreds of new tax enforcers and even private collection agencies to help track you down. If you owe back taxes, or if they think you owe back taxes, or if you haven't filed in some time, here's how to get your life back. Call Optima Tax Relief before that army of IRS enforcers targets you. Optima Tax Relief are experts in the Fresh Start program, perhaps the biggest IRS break ever. But listen. Changes in tax laws are likely this great program could be affected. So now's the time to act. And if it goes away, you missed a huge opportunity. Be smart. Call Optima Tax Relief. Ask them if you qualify for the Fresh Start program. And then ask about their A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And while you're at it, ask them how they've saved over a half a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients. Let Optima step between you and the IRS and solve your tax problems. It's one toll-free number away. 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. There's a great blog spot, George Reisman. And uh, he's written a great piece, Why Columbus is in Fact the Discoverer of America. And during the break, I'm going to go ahead and post it on my social sites. Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. And it's uh, it's short, it's concise, and it's very much worth reading, in my view. So check it out. Okay. Let's see here. Let us go to Amos, a trucker in Pennsylvania. How are you, sir? Hello, Mark. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I'd like to give you a bit of background. I'm a son of a World War II veteran. 
who was born in Yazoo City, Mississippi in 1919 as an African-American or a black person. I am a brother of a Korean War veteran. I am a veteran of uh, Desert Storm, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Wow, what a family. That's amazing. God bless. Thank you. I, I currently serve. I'm about, uh, I don't know, six months away from retirement. And uh, I'm saying that uh, I, th- I think that the protests are uh, disrespectful. I believe the, uh, the premise behind the protest is a lie. And I think it's, if I can use an analogy, uh, I, I liken it to suppose your house was burning down and you were able to escape and get outside and you called the fire department. While you're waiting on the fire department to show up, you lit a cigarette. And you were smoking your cigarette because you were you were anxious about the fire. And so what you did was when the when the uh, fire department showed up, they put out your cigarette and left and didn't put out the fire. Mm-hmm. I think you'll be rightly upset. And this is what I see going on in the African-American community where there's so many problems, many of them are self-induced, and then they point to, 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 to the occasional uh, bad actor in a police department as indicative of a systematic or systemic problem that does not exist. That is a brilliant point. And as a matter of fact, we know statistically it's not a systemic issue. That is, um, rogue cops shooting people really for no reason. So, I know that's quite right. And... Um, so you served active military, your brother in Korea, your father in World War II, you got six months to retire, uh, and you're also a trucker. That's remarkable. I want to salute you and thank you, Amos. Well, my pleasure. I love my country. And I, I get upset when people who, there's no place on the God's green earth that's better to live than the United States of America. I that's agree. including for black men. And I wish they would realize that. But I see so much lack of patriotism in the African-American community. It upsets me because mm-hmm. when I went to Afghanistan, uh, my commander uh, gave a, a briefing, and he said, look to the person on your left and look to the person on your right. He said, one of those people might not make it. Well, in my case, neither one of those people made it back from Afghanistan. So I was fortunate to survive, but my crew didn't. And I think it dishonors them mm-hmm. when these football players, who these entitled, uh, pampered wannabes, kneel. And and I keep saying, I keep saying, do you understand football players and those who defend? Do you understand what you're doing? Do you understand how people perceive this? Whether you believe you're not, whether you believe you are or not, and we know Kaepernick was kneeling against the cops. And you're exactly right. I don't buy that there is systemic murder of people because of their race. That's just BS. That's not the case. I don't believe there's systemic oppression in America. That's not the case. And the evidence in in addition to the statistics is the people who are coming into this country from all walks of life, including in the third world, including mostly people of color, why would you come to a country where all of our local police forces apparently got together and are out to kill people of color and or abuse people of color uh, and where there's widespread oppression. Why would you do that? 
this is what I call uh, intellectual dishonesty because people on the left want more immigration of people of color to come into this country. Why would you invite people to come over here to be oppressed? That makes no sense. No, I agree with you. Hey, listen, Amos, don't hang up. I want to send you a uh, signed copy of Rediscovering Americanism. Guys, don't hang up. Amos, don't hang up. It's a pleasure talking to you. You're, you and your family are unbelievable. Let us continue. <coughs> Excuse me. Dan, Las Vegas, Nevada, the great K-Don, K-W-K-D-W-N. I'm sorry. How are you, Dan? Pretty good, Mr. Levin. How you doing? I'm all right. Thank you. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're hanging in we're hanging in here out here. It was it's, it was tough, but you know we're we're tough out here. We're a tough bunch. So by, by the way, it's still unbelievable. May I may I just say it, before you go on that the sheriff had a press conference about ninety minutes or so, give or take, and he said that mm-hmm. uh, that security guard who was shot, yeah, was actually shot before the subhuman barbarian started killing people at that concert. So in other words. The timeline changed. The timeline had been that the security guard uh, alerted the uh, police to where the right. killer was located because as he was shooting, he came up and came to the room and was shot through the door. Apparently, that's not the case. So now people are wondering why he stopped shooting, when he stopped yeah. shooting. Anyway, yeah, go ahead, Dan. Um, I wanted to uh, talk about the, uh, the the absence of recognition um, on social media and uh, uh, online. Uh, you know the absence of recognition about Columbus Day. But if can I make a point? Um, Go right ahead. In regards to one of the other callers, Kareem called up yeah. a little while ago. Yep. yep. Um, the uh, you know we know you know I know he knows he's calling the cops when he gets into a hairy situation, regardless right. of. What happened to him in the past? But he wouldn't admit that to me, would he? Right. Well, I'm, I'm admitting it. I'm admitting it to you uh, for him because mm-hmm. you know plenty of us have been held at gunpoint by police officers. They have a right to protect themselves and to be safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm I'm one of those people. I'm on the corner with four or five friends, and a police officer rolls up by himself. He he's that that firearm is the equalizer, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't resent police officers for uh, for taking his safety into consideration. Because uh, I can tell you right now, if anything happens to me, I'm calling the cops. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he doesn't know what he's rolling up into. And, and when he sees four or five guys out there hanging out on the street corner doing things they're not supposed to be doing at an hour where they're probably not supposed to be there, he has every right to pull out that firearm and wait until backup arrives. And, you know, nothing happened to us. Uh, and I guess statistically I'm more likely to, to get uh, shot than he is because I'm an Italian-American. So if you if you you know if you like the facts and you read the statistics, I, I was in uh, more more danger than he was, and um, which brings me to my next uh, point. Happy Columbus Day, uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Levin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, and happy Columbus Day to you. What? Well, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you wouldn't know that by going online on social media no, or uh, or if you do any Google searches. I don't know if you remember me. I called a couple months ago. Uh, when I went online to do a Google search on D-Day. Do you remember me? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Go ahead. They, they, well, you, I went online to, uh, to do a Google search, Google search on D-Day. They had nothing recognizing D-Day. I went online to do a uh, Google search today, and I figured they'd have a Google doodle there for Columbus Day, seeing how mm-hmm. it's a... a oh, I see. No, 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 I do remember you. The Google page. Yeah, no, I got you. Right, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, they had nothing then. And, okay, I guess you can rationalize it. I mean, it's, you know, it's a day that... It's not a holiday. It's an important day. But, I mean, today for Columbus Day... Just, just notice, Dan, 
Our customs are now controversial. Our traditions are now controversial. Many people are afraid to even acknowledge them in public. Our college students, our kids, they're afraid to really talk about it now. Uh, we have a real totalitarian mindset spreading through this country, and it's of the hard left, the progressive left. That's why it's important to fight them on Columbus Day. That's why it's important to fight them at the bathrooms. That's why it's important to fight them on the football field. That's why it's important to fight all these points. Because if you lose them, there's another piece of the culture going down the toilet. All right, Dan, great call. And I do remember you. Thank you very much. Mark, El Paso, Texas, the great KTSM. Go. Hey, Mark, thanks for taking my call. You got it. Uh, the main point I want to make is ever since the shooting, I keep seeing this ridiculous point that Republican, that people are never willing to have the conversation on gun control. And now's not the time, but when's the time? And I want to preempt this that I am not a fan of guns. I'm a huge fan of the Second Amendment, and I am active duty military, so I do support that right. However, we do have the conversation every time. Now, government has no place in the conversation. The Bill of Rights puts that in stone. Government has no right in the conversation. It is a conversation for the people, among the people, and we have it. And the fact that we win every time is the reason you don't see the amendments that go up against the Second Amendment, because there is no backing in Congress, because the government shouldn't talk about this. People do talk about this, and the lib answer to you which is how would that have helped? Is that well, well, Mark? That's not the point. Okay, well, what's the point? Well, well, but, 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 it, well, it, and they talk around in circles and circles and circles. And when we talk in circles, we just continue to hammer in the point that we are correct. We have a right to defend ourselves. It's the only way we can defend ourselves. And the government should be afraid of the people. It's written that way. All right, my friend. Appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Protecting your family is your number one responsibility. Simply Safe Home Security is a great way to do that. Years back, Simply Safe's founder is in grad school at Harvard. When his friends start getting robbed in Boston, they come to him. They said, look, we can't buy a security system. They have to be hardwired. We don't own our houses. There's a three-year contract. Home security is extremely expensive and on and on and on. You know the issues. So he thinks, okay, there's got to be a better way. So what does he do? Well, he invents something for them. He invents Simply Safe. Simply Safe is a totally wireless security system. It's top-shelf, cutting-edge technology, complete security with 24-7 alarm monitoring and police dispatch. And we simply save. There's no contracts. There's no hidden fees. There's no wiring. None of it. You're never locked to the company either. Simply Safe's popularity has soared since then. They're protecting 2 million people now. So check out Simply Safe. You'll get 10% off at simplysafemark.com. Or if you want your home protected even sooner, like tonight, you can visit Best Buy. And you can buy Simply Safe there. Now that's 10% off your home security if you buy it through me. That's simplysafemark.com. Simplysafemark.com. Check it out. Check it out. Don't go naked on this stuff. I'm quite serious. 
Natalie, Long Island, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mark. What I want to say, what happened yesterday with Vice President uh, Pence was not a political stunt. He did that for his son, who's serving in the Marine Corps, and all our young men and women who are serving in the armed forces. Mm. He didn't need anybody to tell him to leave. He did it in honor of his son and all our men and women that are serving. So you don't think the president told him to do it? I don't really think so, because he would have watched the game if they would have all stood up. But when they when they knelt, he thought of his son and all our men and women that are serving in this country and are fighting overseas. That's why he walked out. Very well said. Thank you for your call. All right. Kathy, Sierra Madre, California, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hey, Mark. You know what this is all about? It's all about selling hate, community organizing. And hate is opposite of love, which is the war on Christianity, you know, way back from the 60s. And that's exactly what this is all balled up into with all the socialism and activism. It's hate. And it's a very deep emotion, and everybody gets stirred up about it. Mm-hmm. All right, Kathy. Thank you for your call. Mike, Springfield, Missouri, the great KSGF. Go. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? It's so good okay. to talk to you. Thank you. Um, I want to make a point that, uh, you know, if people want real change in this country and not the uh, uh, have change, yes, we can, Obama crap, then, then, then let's stop with the labels. Let's, let's stop with, uh, you know, I'm part of the African, uh, African American community. I'm part of the Hispanic community. I'm part of the LGBT community. You know what? We're Americans. We're one. We're not communities. This is a country. One country is not, it's not split in the, in the community. But you know what? The media love this, uh, balkanization. The left loves this balkanization. They're always talking about groups, the way Marx always talked about groups. Rather than individual human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And 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 if and and they would lose. They would lose if if everybody united as one. And and these people have to understand. You know, uh, I, I'm oppressed. You know, I'm fighting for oppression. Well, you're, you're oppressed because you keep accepting the free stuff that these liberals keep. You know, telling you that you can have. They're the ones holding you back. You want to get mad at somebody? Get mad at them. If- All right, sir. I appreciate your call. We're going to take as many calls as we can in here. Diane, Columbus, Ohio, Sirius Satellite, go. Hello, Mark. Thank Hello. You, thank, thank you for your voice. Um, thank you. A uh, couple of quick things. I, I must say it is if, a beautiful voice. Pardon me? Never mind. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, I would, I'm begging you and uh, other voices like yours to start challenging at every single opportunity those who are spewing the vitriol against this country and so forth, um, and especially with it, when it comes to gun rights, um, to say, okay. Well, I, I, don't know, I, don't know what else, I don't know what else I can do, but I'm doing what I can. <laughs> well, you know, if you're, or, or, you know, those who interview the politicians say, what kind of. Um, well, listen, I don't, we don't communicate. In other words, there's not been a big laundry list where we all communicate with each other and tell each other what to do. I do my own thing. I'm not in touch with these other people. Okay, well, just to even then... Why don't, you, why, don't, why don't you, rather than telling me to talk to them, why don't you talk to them now? Okay. What kind of firearm politicians does your um, security detail carry? 
if you want to strip people of their gun rights, let's start with your security detail. Um, and the same thing with the NFL players. What kind of guns are the security, you know, the people who protect the stadium carrying? And if you don't like this country, leave. Go to the Middle East. and all That'll never happen. That'll never happen. Uh, because the truth is, in their heart of hearts, they know what a magnificent country this is. But they they get to live in one world and play with another world. That's pretty much what's going on, which is a great point, Diane. Thank you for your call. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I'm taking a knee. I'm taking a knee against the football players. What do you think about that? I'll see you tomorrow, America. Check out Levin TV, and I'll see you then.